All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy What Podcast. My name is Jonathan Sousa, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Ben Wexelman. Ben, how's it going this evening, buddy? It's going well. Trying to get the week off to a good start. And uh, we've got a great guest with us today, so definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you know, doing pretty well for a, for a Monday. And like you mentioned, we have a really uh, really good guest on with us this evening. It's going to be a fun discussion. So uh, we'd like to welcome Mr. Galen Dragiev to the podcast this evening. Uh, seasoned WNBA DFS veteran and uh, all-around niche sport uh, aficionado. Uh, Galen, how's it going this evening, man? Uh, it's going pretty well, man. Uh, excited to be on the podcast here. I've heard uh, a couple of you guys' episodes from earlier, so uh, pretty excited. Pretty excited to be on, and, and honored to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. The uh, the honor is all ours. So uh, we appreciate you carving out some time. Um, one thing that we've been doing with uh, the guests that we've had on this podcast. So I guess just Ben Kramer of Daily Roto, but uh, we kind of gave him the floor uh, to kind of give him a little bit about, or give the listeners, excuse me, a little bit of background about themselves. Uh, I know that you were uh, in the content providing space for a little bit of time. And so some people might recognize your name, uh, but there might be some people listening to this podcast who have never heard of you before. So uh, if you want to just take a couple of minutes or so to kind of give the listeners a, a background about yourself, you know, how you got into DFS, what game types you're playing, all that fun stuff. I think that that'd be a good place for us to start. Cool, man. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll, I'll go ahead and get started. Basically, it's a long story short, but back when I was in college, I got into um, some soccer soccer things. I was doing some soccer content for Roto World at the time, uh, just when their uh, Premier League content team started. So I was one of the first people that they had on for soccer there. And then um, one day I just saw an advertisement on Roto World, actually, for Daily Fantasy at the time, they only had daily fantasy football, so like NFL. But, you know, obviously, I had liked fantasy sports of all sorts. I had played fantasy uh, football, fantasy basketball, and obviously was playing fantasy sports at the, or fantasy soccer at the time as well. So gave that a try. Um, I actually deposited, I remember, I deposited $25 uh, that first and just played a $25 tournament that first day, won $250. I cashed out like 200 and then just kind of like played around with that 50 for the rest of the season. Obviously that first season was very, uh, very low stakes and just kind of experimenting around and then just kind of grew from there. And, um, you know, as you guys know, I ended up doing content over at daily Roto last season or for a few seasons actually. And, uh, that was a blast. But at this point in time, uh, I decided to kind of give up on the content just because it was taking a lot of time and, and just preventing me from pursuing some personal goals. So uh, as of right now, I'm just playing DFS uh, pretty much full time, but been taking some trips here and there and just working on some personal stuff outside of it. So I wouldn't say like fully full time, but 80 percent of the 80 percent of the year I've been uh, playing DFS. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. That's always been a just a, a kind of a, a pipe dream for mine. So I always enjoy talking to people that are kind of pursuing DFS full time. And this is something that I was actually thinking about on my drive home today. And I wanted to run this by you uh, before we kind of get into the the WNBA talk that we were uh, planning to speak about today. But um, I'm kind of interested to get your thoughts. So um, I, I know that in some of these niche sports, and Ben and I talked about it last week, uh, there seems to be a lot of chalk that exists in plays, whether that's in cash games or GPPs. 
And um, I, I was kind of thinking about the idea of playing the block. So if you know that a certain player is going to be, you know, let's say 80 to 85% owned in contest, do you subscribe to the idea that, you know, even if your research is telling you that they might not be such a smash play, are you still more apt to be overexposed or lock them into a cash game lineup? Or are, do you subscribe to the idea that, hey, you know, my research is my research and it's telling me to do a certain thing. Uh, it, it'd just be interesting to hear with someone who's really playing this as their sole source of income, because I'm inclined to think, you know, someone that's just kind of doing this, you know, semi casually, hey, you know, I'll just play somebody for the block. And, you know, if they fail, they fail. But someone like you who is depending on this for, uh, you know, income full time, what are your thoughts? So around kind of that that mindset yeah so i think it just really depends on the sport um something like nfl and nba i think it's pretty easy to get an idea of who's going to be extremely chalky and then in nfl i think uh, i'd be a lot more willing to like fade the chalk for example just because everything is so um you know just so variant you can have like a really good wide receiver go for like one catch on five yards um, and be super chalky. So then in tournaments, obviously, there's going to be some value in doing that. In NBA, obviously, it's a lot more different. If you have um, like an underpriced Kevin Durant playing without Steph Curry, right? Like there's just so few ways that he fails as a play that I think if you're just continually fading the best plays in, in NBA, you're going to be a, uh, most likely a losing player in, in the long term. Um, and WNBA, which is the currently what I'm playing right now during the summer, it's been a little bit difficult predicting the ownership. So I'm kind of just going through my research, finding the best plays and playing them and um, and, and just kind of going with, with my best shot. And honestly, WNBA has been less chalky than I expected. Um, there's not that much chalk going into it. So that's been a, a pleasant surprise there with, uh, with that sport. Awesome. Ben, what are your thoughts there, man? Do you kind of subscribe to the same thought process that, hey, you know, if my research is telling me one thing, then I'm going to stick to my research, or are you more apt to, to play the block? Yeah, I'm not a block kind of person myself. I mean, the, so the way I see it is like, you know, it, if whatever projection set I'm using or, or whatever research I've done myself, it's like, if, if I don't trust that, then why am I utilizing it in the first place? And so, you know, even if I see somebody else getting touted really highly uh, across the industry, and I know they're going to be, say, 45 or 50 percent owned um, in cash games or head to heads, but I feel like it's not a particularly good play or even if it's a solid play, there there's a better one out there. You know, I, I'm going to go with whatever I feel is, is the best play, regardless of ownership uh, for cash games. And then with respect to uh, tournaments and GPPs in general. Um, obviously there's some, there's some ownership that you need to take into effect. And like Glenn said, I mean, you know, a KD with Steph Curry out, uh, that, that hasn't been priced up or, you know, situations like that, that emerge across, uh, you know, over the course of the NBA season, especially, um, those are just smash plays that you really want to make sure you jam in. But at the end of the day, like those, those are situations where I hope your projections would get you on them to begin with. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't envision not playing someone like that in, in a cash game. Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it, I think that's a situation you wouldn't necessarily have to worry about. So I don't necessarily worry about the block really ever. Um, I, I just feel like if you're worried about that, you're going to end up playing 
suboptimal plays in, in cash, and, and that just doesn't seem like a great route to go. Yeah, no, uh, I tend to agree. I'm, I'm kind of, I was thinking about it, and you know, I, I think I tend to subscribe to the, the theory that you know, your research is your research, and you know, if, if your research is telling you to play a guy that's going to be eighty percent owned, then go for it. If it's telling you to fade, then that's an acceptable route as well. So guys, I, I appreciate that. That was a, I know that was kind of a little off kiltered, but um, let's uh, let's get to the topic of the day. And that is WNBA DFS. So Glenn, um, I'm interested to hear from you. I know that you said you've been playing WNBA pretty heavily over this summer as kind of your main sport. And I quite candidly am someone that have never stepped into the streets. So I don't really know the differences between NBA and WNBA besides the fact that one is being played by men and the other one is being played by women. So um, for someone like myself that is just familiar with NBA DFS, could you kind of explain the similarities and differences? Like, for example, are, are we still looking for multipliers when we're finding uh, out or deciding who we want to roster, like a, a 3X or a 4X multiplier is something that we're aiming for? Um, and then, you know, are, are, what is your thoughts on a, a stars and scrubs build as opposed to balance and just kind of anything that might be, uh, noteworthy for a player that's stepping into WNBA for the first time? Yeah, I, I can, uh, I can go over some of that. I can just kind of break it up, uh, question by question a little bit. Um, as far as the biggest differences, uh, in terms of DFS, there isn't that much difference. Uh, the scoring is the same. Pretty much, uh, you know, DFS pretty much the same way for NBA and WNBA. In terms of the league itself, I would say that the biggest difference is that in the NBA, there's a lot of uh, fantastic guards and wings. And the league is just really dominated by guards and wings and shooting right now. Whereas in the WNBA, uh, it's just a bigs league. Pretty much every single good team has an elite big. There's quite a bit of uh, post play, quite a bit of pick and rolls, but... You know, on, on almost every possession, there's going to be a big involved in some way. And uh, last year's MVP, Sylvia Fowles, she's a center, uh, just, you know, really, really big player. Just dominates the boards, dominates on defense. And that's really the biggest difference. And when you start looking at some of the uh, fantasy builds and things like that, it just makes sense to roster a lot of those, a lot of those big, uh, big girls. They're just generating more points. They're just more involved. The usage is higher for them than for the wings, you know, in general. So I would say that's really the biggest difference. And then in terms of multipliers, I don't really use multipliers in NBA or WNBA. Um, you know, I'll just, I'll have projections for whichever sport I'm playing and then just kind of try to build some optimal lineups from there. And if I am using, you know, some sort of value, it's usually going to be something like, 2x plus 10 instead of like a 4x just because those really cheap players that are like 3k you know 4x if you're using 4x you know that's 12 points but 12 points usually just not enough from those cheap players and if you're using something like 2x plus 10 then for like a 3k player that's going to be 16 points so um i like those 2x plus 10 a little bit more if i was to say i'm looking for some kind of value um but don't really, don't really look at value too much. Just, just kind of try to generate uh, some projections and then just try to get some optimal builds in there. And then the last question was uh, stars and scrubs versus balance builds. And honestly, that's entirely slate dependent. It just kind of depends what's available out there. Uh, for WNBA, I think I find myself uh, using a lot more stars than I do in NBA. 
Uh, but I think that's just kind of like the nature of the scoring. Uh, the games in WNBA are a little shorter, so the players or the star players are playing a bigger percentage of the minutes, and they're just generating a bigger percentage of the fantasy points. So uh, probably do a little bit more stars on scrubs in the WNBA, but it's entirely slate and side dependent, um, as always. Awesome. Yeah, no, I appreciate you kind of digging into that a little bit and kind of go- going a little further on that point, you know, what is what is your research process look like? Obviously, you've got, you know, your own research process, whether it's building projections and looking at the actual stats. But, you know, I think we saw today there was a day game and the lineups came out, what, like, uh, six or seven minutes before tip, right? So, you know, how, how do you handle that? And obviously you and I have have dealt with preseason NBA uh, where uh, in summer league NBA where information is really sparse. I mean, do, do, do you feel like you're in the same type of situation with the WNBA on a nightly basis? And, you know, do, do you have to kind of uh, rely on various beat writers on Twitter. What, what's kind of uh, what's kind of your process in terms of making sure your projections are as accurate as possible with respect to you know players being injured and and sitting and and whatnot. Yeah, I think um, I can kind of answer this question just sort of talking about basketball DFS because I I think the NBA and WNBA is just a very similar process for me. Um, pretty much would just kind of generate projections throughout the day. Um, and then I think really the biggest, uh, the most important thing I think to be successful as a, as a fantasy NBA player, is just to be prepared for different scenarios. So if you have someone questionable, um, let's use like a, an NBA example, like let's say um, Steph Curry is questionable tonight and you're expecting to get news like right before lock. I think it's just really, really essential to have, uh, whether it is your projections that you're using or lineups that you're using, et cetera, it's just really important to have them ready for both scenarios just because a lot of people aren't prepared or they'll assume one, like they'll, they'll assume Steph Curry is playing and just work with that. But um, really just being prepared for both just give you such a huge edge because when that news comes out and sometimes we'll get news, like you said, six or seven minutes before lock, it's just really hard to kind of think through everything, right? Like, First of all, this player is no longer available if he's ruled out. And then second of all, there's just uh, his backup, like who's going to get the minutes. And then third of all, is going to be, well, where is the usage going to go? So there's so many different things to sort of think through and account for that six or seven minutes is just not enough. And then once you account for that, like let's say Kevin Durant is then going to be a great play. Well, then it's like, who do I get take out of my lineup to fit in Kevin Durant? So there's just so many different things in play on a, on a big basketball slate that I think really the most important thing is just being prepared for, for both, uh, both scenarios and, and just looking at uh, the entire process of like getting the projections ready, getting uh, the lineups ready, and just having an idea of how you're going to go once that news breaks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we've both you know, mass multi-entered uh, NBA for the past few seasons. And so we're pretty, you know, we're pretty uh, adept at that. It, do you kind of utilize that same principle with WNBA in terms of having maybe two or three different sets of uh, CSV files ready to upload at any, you know, at any given point within the last, say, three or four minutes before lock? Yeah, if there is like a, a questionable player, 
or if there is if I'm uncertain on a starter that's going to be announced before lock, I'll certainly have multiple CSVs. Um, it just really, you know, it just really depends like what time the game is. If there's a game that's at 10 p.m. and lock is at seven, I'm probably not going to make multiple CSVs just because it's unlikely to get uh, that news. But even then, uh, I'd like to uh, usually if there's a a player questionable in the 10 p.m. game, I'm gonna go through and do research for both the player being in and out and kind of figure out what the best plays are in both scenarios. And then since I am playing multiple lineups, I'm going to try to play some lineups, assuming the player is out and some lineups, assuming the player is in. And obviously, you know, that's not as simple as just having that player in some lineups and not having them in other lineups. It's just, uh, like I said, it just impacts so many other things like backups and usage for other players and things like that. So um, usually just, just try to, uh, kind of split the exposure a little bit when there are questionable players in the late games. Awesome. Yeah, no, no question about that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, So for those that are listening to this podcast that maybe haven't dipped their feet into the WNBA waters like uh, John and others, you know, who are some of those players that have really massive impacts on the game? And like you said, you've been more uh, apt to go with the stars and scrubs approach. So you know, who are some of those players like a uh, an NBA esque, you know, Westbrook or LeBron or KD that night in and night out, you know, you can rely on them for 45, 50, 55 points, um, and and are just going to be kind of locked into your lineups more or less every night they're on the court, like a, a James Harden and what have you. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. Um, I pr- pretty much don't find myself using the same players over and over again just because. The pricing seems to fluctuate fluctuate a little bit, so you know it always obviously depends on price. But some players that uh, have been just a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to use in fantasy because they've been generating a lot of fantasy points. Um, Liz Cambage has been an amazing center for the Dallas Wings. She uh, came into the league about five or six years ago, had some trouble adjusting in the WNBA and just uh, life over here in the U.S. because she's from, uh, I believe, Australia. So she went back home, played for a few seasons there, and just returned this season. It's just been an insanely fun player to watch. She's so skilled around the basket, just really good on offense and defense. And um, right now her, her point guard is injured, so she's had just some insane usage over the past week, and I expect that to continue if her point guard keeps missing time. And then some other uh, some other fun players this season. Candace Parker has been as good as always. She's, you know, either her or Maya Moore are probably the best players in the league. Um, and then Sylvia Faust has been a favorite of mine to use in fantasy for a while just because she can she has those nights where just everything is going for her. And, and when that's happening, even if she's getting doubled in the post, she's passing out of it, getting rebounds, getting blocks. And uh, those defensive statistics, they really add up, especially on Fando. So she's been a really fun player to use in fantasy. Yeah. So one more quick question I have kind of to piggyback off of that. It's like we said we were talking just off air before this and you said you watch a ton of these games. I mean, how, how much of your lineup building and your research um, is data-based versus actually kind of what you're seeing uh, in the games and, and just kind of more of a feel type of situation? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good mix of both. I think um, definitely a lot of it comes from watching the games and, uh, you know, getting an idea of what the rotations are like and things like that. Sometimes if you're just looking at the box score, you know, you're seeing these random games where 
players just aren't playing as many minutes as usual. But if you're watching the game, you can get an idea of whether that was from foul trouble, uh, whether that was just like a matchup thing where, you know, they had to go big versus a team. So, you know, they were playing some of their bigger players that night. Um, and that obviously just really helps, uh, especially when you're trying to project minutes for a given night. So I think watching is is really, really useful. And then another thing in the WNBA is just the injury reporting has been really, really bad. Uh, it's slowly getting better, but there's still nights where there's going to be a player questionable or potentially even out and it doesn't even get reported. So sometimes you'll see a player exit the game and then you just kind of have that in the back of your head for the next game. Right. Uh, know that a player was injured and and sometimes just be uh be a little bit more careful if, if you think they're going to be a good play just because you you know they left the last game and it just might be an injury that wasn't reported. So I think watching in the WNBA is a lot more important than in the NBA mm-hmm. because in the NBA there's so much content out there. Um, there's just you know there's a ton of DFS content in itself. There's just a ton of news, a ton of reporting. Whereas in the WNBA there's pretty much you know there's very little content. Uh, there's very you know very little reporting so i think watching the games at the wnba is a lot a lot more essential than than in the nba yeah and there's probably yeah. also not any uh popcorn machine right for uh for wnba compared to nba yeah not that i know of yeah that would be uh that would be very helpful i know that's a a key piece of things especially early on in, in every single or every single nba day is you just kind of obviously can't watch every game and uh, looking back and seeing, like you had mentioned, where foul trouble took a certain person out of play, I think that's really important. Yeah. So one last thing that I'd kind of like to hit on, uh, Glenn, and then we—I uh, I know that I want to talk some soccer with you before we get out of here. Um, being someone that has kind of a full-time job throughout the day, so and even Ben as well. Um, you know, we don't really have the time to watch some of these games because I know some of the, it, it, at least from what I've seen, just kind of watching the DraftKings and FanDuel lobby, some of these games tip off at like 11 or 12 a.m. on a Tuesday. Um, so it, it kind of would be tough for someone like myself who might want to get in and play some WNBA to watch all of the games. So what would you recommend to someone like me who, who wants to get in and wants to experience playing this this DFS sport? but might not have the time to dedicate to watching all the games. What do, what do you think uh, would be the best course of action to kind of get the, get my footing under me? Yeah, that, that's a little bit tough, honestly, because, you know, like I said, there's just not, um, not as much reporting. It's a little bit difficult to find all the beat writers. Some teams don't even have beat writers. Um, so it's, it's just really, really tough to do, um, to do anything without, uh, without kind of getting an idea uh, of what the injury situation is and things like that. I think the, you know, the number one starting spot, which it would be just to follow all the actual teams on Twitter. So then at least you can get some starting lineups. Uh, most of the teams are actually pretty good about getting their starting lineups out before lock, even if it's like five or 10 minutes before. So obviously okay. with the starting lineups, uh, sometimes they release some injury information and things like that. So um, that would be the really the number one thing is just making sure you're not missing any injuries. Um, and, you know, once you get past that, then you can just use... Um, some some sort of database approach. I mean, even if you can just project minutes and, and just kind of use some per minute uh, production as an indicator, I think that can be a pretty good start to kind of figure out some sort of ballpark. You know, it's obviously not going to be perfect projections if you don't really dedicate the time to it. But even if you can just sort of project minutes for the players, it can be a big help to uh, to kind of figure out who's going to be a good plate on a given night. 
Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I think that you know Twitter is such a powerful source of information for any type of daily fantasy sports. So I, I think that you're all spot on. You know, I think I'll definitely go out and follow some of the teams and hopefully I'll get some uh, information before lock and I can make my uh, decisions off of that. So before we get out of here, uh, I know that you mentioned that your start was in soccer and that soccer seems to be like it's a, you know, a sport that you like to watch a lot. Um, do you have any thoughts kind of uh, in advance of the EPL season starting on Friday? I know that I'm really excited. I'm a Spurs supporter, so I know that some of our guys are going to be gassed after England's long World Cup run, you know, the likes of Harry Kane and Kieran Trippier. But is there, you know, are you going to be playing any soccer DFS this season? And then is there maybe someone that from a fantasy perspective or a real life perspective that you're kind of looking forward to watch as the EPL season gets rolling? Yeah, actually, um, I haven't been playing as much soccer as I used to. Um, you know, like you said, I did get, I did get started in soccer. Um, but after a while, uh, so it basically the beginning of last NBA season was when um, I sort of gave up playing soccer DFS just because I found it difficult to focus on multiple sports at a time. So, um, it, you know, I was focusing on basketball. There was just so much more liquidity in basketball. I mean, you can play basketball six, seven nights a week. Um, you can play soccer just on Saturdays. And if you look at the price pools, you know, you can't even compare the price pools for soccer versus basketball. So at the beginning of last season, I decided to, uh, to sort of just focus on NBA when it comes to DFS. I'll still watch uh, some Premier League. I'm a Chelsea fan, so definitely try to catch as many Chelsea games as I can. I'll play a little bit of, um, of, of fantasy soccer, mostly for fun. Uh, don't really, since I haven't been dedicating the time to it, it's been hard to play um, like high stakes or anything like that. But uh, when I do have time, I'll, I'll throw a couple lineups in into the tournaments and try to get some Chelsea players in there uh, just for fun, just have some uh, extra rooting interest when I watch the Chelsea games. Nice. Uh, what, do, what do you think about Hazard? I know that uh, he's been rumored here over the past couple of weeks to uh, be somewhat of a Ronaldo replacement at Real Madrid after he left for Juventus. So do you, you know, do you take any credence in those rumors? Do you think he's on his way out or do you think he'll at least stay till the January transfer window? Uh, I'm hoping he's going to stay. I saw a report today that he's supposed to report to practice either today or tomorrow. Uh, but honestly, with soccer rumors, I've seen just about every single rumor imaginable for every single player imaginable. So it's kind of hard to take any of them too seriously. Um, personally, I didn't even believe the Ronaldo going to Juventus rumor until it was pretty <laughs> much tweeted by Real Madrid that he's gone. So <laughs> um, with soccer rumors, it's a little bit tough to really, uh, to really get a hang of what's going on. But I hope that the rumor today was correct, that he's about to report to training because uh, I think he's uh, pretty clearly Chelsea's best player and, He's certainly the most fun to watch. So hopefully uh, we'll get to watch him for at least one more season in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, cool. I, I think we covered everything we wanted to cover today. Um, Galen, why don't you tell everybody uh, where they can find you? And if you're working on anything, feel free to uh, to give it a plug. Uh, so I can be found on Twitter. It's at Galindrigiev. Uh, I'm sure you guys can uh, can tweet that out with the, uh, you know, with the podcast there so people can see exactly how it's spelled. Uh, I don't have any plans to do content for fantasy sports in the near future here. Just uh, trying to do some some trips and, and travel a little bit more and 
uh, I will continue playing DFS, you know, like I said, maybe around 70 to 80% of the time. So I'm going to be around on Twitter, uh, going to be around in the Data Roto chat, uh, still subscribing there and, uh, you know, really do enjoy that content there. So if anyone wants to, uh, to if anyone has any questions or anything, Twitter or Data Roto chat is the place to find me. Awesome. Well, sounds great. Thank you so much, uh, Galen, for coming on with us this evening. Um, you can follow myself on Twitter at John underscore T underscore Sousa. You can follow Ben on Twitter at B Wexelman. That's B W I E W E I X L N. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much. I, you know, it's been a long day. I, I had to sit in an hour and a half worth of traffic leaving the office today. So, uh, my brain's a little fried, but what I do know is that you can follow the show on Twitter at fantasy underscore what. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a follow and let us know what you think of the podcast today. Let us know if you're out there uh, grinding WNBA or if this podcast kind of gave you some courage to, uh, to step it up and uh, rub some elbows in there. So uh, again, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll be back next week with another episode. Take it easy.